wanted to introduce a, a friend. Uh, my family and I came to Scotland. We came uh, not just as students, but also sent by a, a mission sending agency called Into All the World. And, and David Lewis is the director for Into All the World. So we've been blessed just to have his encouragement uh, through a trip that he's made uh, here on, on his way to Africa. And he's been with us for a few days. And I just asked if he could say a few words and, and bring greetings from uh, Into All the World. It really is wonderful to be able to be with you this evening. Um, David and I actually had never, we never met in Canada. We interviewed him over the phone before sending him and really felt God saying that this is where he's supposed to be. So we were able to, happy to be able to, to work with him and now I'm very happy to be able to meet him and his, his wonderful family. Um, you know, Into All the World has operated to send people where God wants them to be. And God has a call on people's lives, and they come to us and say, God wants me to be there. And we say, okay, let's get you there. And that's our focus and our mission. Uh, so it's my privilege as director to be able to visit all the people that God has sent and see what God is doing. And it's wonderful to see that no matter where I go in the world, I can travel all over the world, I will still meet the same God. Because it's the same God no matter what church we're in. And so it's wonderful to be here this evening. It's great to meet your pastor and just to, to see your, you here on an evening service. I tell you, in Canada, I have, I'm hard-pressed to find an evening service. I can't do it, and I enjoy an evening service on a Sunday evening. So it's wonderful, wonderful to see people here and people willing to give up their Sunday evenings and worship God together. So thank you for the welcome. May we pray together. Lord, when you bless your word to us, our eyes are opened, our chains fall off, our hearts are free. Lord, we, we long tonight to hear something fresh from Jesus, our glorious Lord and Savior, the risen and reigning King the head of the church and the shepherd of our lives. And we ask that you would draw near, that you would minister in a way that is personal and powerful to each one of us here tonight. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Once again, it's a real privilege to be with you tonight, and I want to read with you from one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Ephesians, and this is Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we started here last, last Sunday in the morning and evening, and we're going to take uh, tonight and God willing next Sunday night to uh, go through Paul's prayer uh, for the Ephesian Christians, which is an incredible prayer we can be praying for one another and it's a picture of what God wants to do in our hearts and lives so we're going to read together from uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 Ephesians is a, a letter written in the first century by uh, a missionary named Paul who had started the church in in Ephesus through through God and this is him writing to them uh, from prison 
to encourage them, and he's sharing what he's praying for them. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. This is God's word. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God to us tonight. As we begin, I want to start by thinking about pizza, if we could. Are there any pizza lovers in this place tonight? I see a few. And have any of you had pizza in Italy? Do you know that it's better when you have it in Italy? I, I can remember distinctly um, August 1999, my only time in Italy, my first Night there, a local Italian took us to one of the best pizzerias that he knew. And they, they made the pizza in front of us, and they brought it to our table. It was, it was almost like we had died and gone to pizza heaven. It was just amazing. The, 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 the cheese was so stringy, and the, the crust was so perfect and thin. And... That is, in a way, what this next part of Ephesians is like. You're probably saying, how? I will explain. It's, it's about, see, there's one thing to know that the pizza in Italy is going to be better than anywhere else. To know that in your head, but to actually go and taste it is altogether different. And that's what we have in this prayer, is going beyond just knowing something to actually tasting it, experiencing it what it really is. When we read the start of Ephesians 1, we get this picture that as believers we are incredibly blessed. That we've been adopted, we've been chosen by the Father, verse uh, 4 and 5. That we've been redeemed by Jesus, we've been forgiven, verses 6 and 7. That we have a new perspective on what life is about and where it's headed, verses 8 to, to 10. And that we have the presence of God himself with us, the Holy Spirit, verses 13 and 14. All three members of the Trinity have worked together to bless you. It's awesome. But it doesn't stop there. The book goes on for five and a half more chapters. Why doesn't 
it stop it after verse 14. And Paul just says, well, so remember that you are blessed. Sincerely, Paul. Why doesn't it just stop? Two reasons. Number one, redeemed people need to learn how to re live redeemed lives. So a lot of, of chapters 2 through 6 are about unpacking what does it mean to be a new person and to live that new life in the power of the Spirit. Uh, so redeemed people need to learn to live new lives, but before that we have this prayer. It's there because of, of this, what we talked about with pizza. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to experience. It's one thing to know you've been blessed. It's another thing to enter the experience of that. There's knowing in your head, and there's knowing in your heart. And so he's saying, you're blessed, therefore I'm praying that you're going to experience this. What can you do to shift knowledge from your head to your heart? On your part, what can you do? You can pray. What can we do for one another so that what we know about Christ will grip our lives? We can pray for one another. And God works through prayer. What would happen in this church if, if each one of us just began to pray a little more intentionally that way for each other? That revelation would come, that our eyes would be open. What if we prayed for the church in Scotland that way? And for the church all around the world, what will happen? I believe we're blessed. Now, God, please let us see it. Let us taste it. Well, where are we going to begin here? We're going to start at verse 15. And it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul had, had planted this church, and it seems what he's getting now is, is some updates that have come from messengers sent to him. And this church has, has gone far above and beyond where it was when he left them. They've continued to, to grow, and there's, there's new believers. Um, he's hearing about their faith, people who've, who've come. And what is it that marks them? Well, well, it's that word, first of all, faith. And second of all, love for all the saints. Let's just pause and think about that. Don't we want people to see that when they see us? When they see Airdrie Baptist Church, they see, I see a people with faith. I see a people who, they face challenges. But they have faith in a God who's bigger. Uh, I see people with love. People who, they don't have any illusions about the warts on one another and the weaknesses and the shortcomings, but they love each other. And it, it's remarkable. And I'd like to be part of a community like that. Don't we want people to see that in us? I have to say, coming from outside, I see that in this church. And it looks good on you. And I just want to encourage that heart of faith and love to keep on growing. Now in this prayer, it, it keeps on going, and it's verses, uh, verse 16 now we want to look at. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his, his incomparably great power for us who believe. We'll look a little closer at some parts of this prayer, but I want to pull out 
a thread that's drawing them together first. Do you notice that this prayer is essentially about one thing? More of God. It's about more of God. And we see that because God is referred to again and again. Him, He. Uh, verse 17, it says that you may know Him better. Verse 18, uh, the He has called you. And again, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And verse 19, His incomparably great power for us. Ultimately, as we pray for us to experience more of what God, how God has blessed us, it's a prayer that we would know Him. And isn't that what we all long for at our core, that we could know Him more? And he elaborates on that. He's praying, verse 17, that God would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. And then he, he restates it differently, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And there's going to be three results that he identifies. One is that you, on a new level, you will know hope. In addition, that you will know your inheritance. And finally, that you'll know the power of God, which will, God willing, we'll look at that one next week. But this week, look, looking first at the Spirit's work and the hope and the inheritance here. Well, what does he mean when he prays, God will give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation? Well, it's the same Holy Spirit who in verse 3 is, is alluded to in those spiritual blessings that we've been given. And in verses uh, 13 and 14, who has sealed us like, like, a, like a banker's stamp, uh, an authoritative seal marking his ownership and protection and, and his authority over us, that you belong to God. His presence. Uh, but he's praying that we could know more of the Holy Spirit. It's not a different spirit, but it's more of Him. This, the name, Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation, do you know where those terms occur elsewhere in Scripture? Back in Isaiah, as Isaiah's prophesying about Jesus, the Messiah, the branch of David, and it says that, that the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And he lists seven names of the Spirit. And it includes the spirit of wisdom and revelation is, is what's going to be on Jesus. And that spirit comes upon Jesus' people, the Holy Spirit. And he brings out these terms, wisdom, revelation, why? Because he wants to highlight part of the Spirit's ministry to you and me. What is he doing? Well, part of what he's doing is he's giving us wisdom. He's teaching us. And he's revealing so that you can know God, so that I can know God. Let's think about wisdom uh, and then about revelation. In Ephesians, do you know what wisdom is about? It's about seeing that God is directing a cosmic plan. That's what's uh, unpacked in verses 8 to 10, is wisdom that he's made known is this cosmic plan that's going to bring everything to unity in Christ, in heaven and earth. So there's this huge scope to God's wisdom and tied in with that, in chapter 3, it talks in verse 10 about how the church is an expression of the wisdom of God. The unity that he's brought among people who are enemies is an expression of the wisdom of God to, to the powers and authorities in heaven. And then in, verse, um, in chapter 5, there's this instruction, verse 15, to be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. 
because the days are evil. So wisdom is just about the opportunities that face you every day in a world that is evil, in a world that opposes God, that tries to block us from serving God. It's knowing how do I, what choices am I going to make on Monday morning, on Wednesday afternoon. It's everyday living in light of God's cosmic plan. That's wisdom in, in Ephesians. God wants to give us that, and it all flows from knowing Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. And Colossians 2. So, so knowing God isn't something just kind of abstract. It's not just, you know, that 15 or 30 minutes or whatever it is that you, where you have a quiet time in your day and the rest of your day is, is the secular part of your life. But wisdom is, is every part of every day. How do I live? How do I redeem and make the most of the time in light of God's cosmic and eternal plan that I'm part of? That's wisdom. And, and revelation is... What comes to mind when you hear the word revelation? Probably the last book of the Bible first, right? The book of Revelation, which is a, a, an unveiling of what God is going to do. And that's literally what the word revelation means. It's like if there's a curtain over, over the window, you pull it aside and you unveil the view. Revelation. And you see what's been there all the time. And as a result of seeing what was there, you live differently. Now, can I illustrate this for you from uh, one, of the, one of the weirdest stories in the Bible? Do you know there's some weird stories in the Bible? Have you read this? Numbers has some really weird stories. Numbers 22, there's this whole episode with this wacky prophet named Balaam. And just one, one of those stories illustrates revelation for us. Israel, the nation, had been rescued from Egypt. They're en route to the promised land. Uh, another neighboring nation, Moab, feels threatened. So they, they hire a prophet to curse Israel. Now, here in Scotland, we probably don't think in terms of hiring prophets to curse people, but that was the done thing then. Uh, it, it would be perhaps uh, true in some African cultures. You think of, of uh, also in, in Caribbean, the idea of voodoo dolls, where people recognize their spiritual forces at work. The weird thing here is this guy was, was going to try to to get God to curse Israel. So how that works, I don't know. It is a weird story. But this is what happens. God tells Balaam, no, don't go, don't do this. So what does Balaam do? Well, he wants the money, so he's going to give it a shot. He goes anyway. He gets on his donkey. He's on the way, and on the path, there's this sword-wielding angel standing and blocking the route. And the donkey just kind of... It, moves to the side, and, 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 and Balaam gets, he's angry at the donkey, and he, he hits it, and I guess the angel moves, and, and they go on, and again, the angel's blocking the route, and uh, the, the donkey again moves the other way, and Balaam's getting angry at his donkey, and finally, a third time, they're at this impasse where there's no way past, and the angel's again there with his sword, blocking the road, and the donkey sits down. Balaam starts beating his donkey, and the donkey talks to Balaam. And talking animals didn't start with Narnia. They started with actually this guy, I guess. And the donkey says, why are you beating me? And then here's where I'm going. Just to help us think about Revelation, what it does. It says, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And in the, in the Greek Old Testament, it's this very same word we have here for, for Revelation. Um, 
opening something up, revealing, uncovering, uncovered his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. That's Numbers 22, 31. So the angel was there all this time. He didn't see it. He didn't see it. And then the Lord opens his eyes and he sees it. What happens? What comes next? Numbers 22, 31 says, So he bowed low and he fell face down. And he begins to own up and he's saying, Maybe I shouldn't go do this after all. This guy who was absolutely bent on one thing, after revelation comes, everything changes for him. And do you see what, what happens when God gives us his spirit of revelation? When the things we know in our heads move down into our hearts, that's when we begin to live in line with the truth on a level that we, we weren't able to before. Now, it's not any different truth, but we see it. We, we get it on a heart level, and it begins to change us. Now, what does Paul mean by revelation? Well, apart from the last book in the Bible, when you look through the New Testament, how is this word used? Uh, there are three concepts tied to this idea of revelation. One is the gospel. The gospel is a revelation. Number two is the coming of Christ. When Jesus comes back, he'll be revealed. And number three is an aspect of Christian experience. So what's he referring to here? Well, let's, let's think these through. The gospel is a revelation. Romans 16.35 talks about it that way. Ephesians 3.3. 3. Um, I like how one person put it. That the Old Testament, the gospel is, is there, but it's like a, if you turn all the lights off in here, would anything change in the room? Would, would things disappear? All, all the seats would be here, all the furniture would be here, but you couldn't see them so clearly. And that's the gospel in the Old Testament. It's like a room dimly lit. And the New Testament, the lights come on and we see it. It's a revelation. Okay? So there's that revelation. Secondly, Christ's return is a revelation simply because we don't see him now. And we don't see his reign on the earth now, the way it is going to be demonstrated when he comes. But when we see him, uh, everything will change for us. Everything will change for planet earth. It's a revelation. Now here in Ephesians 1, what does he mean? Does he, does he mean they need to hear the gospel and be saved? Do they need that revelation? No, they are saved. Does, do, is he praying for the return of Christ? Not here. He's praying about their Christian experience. Well, what is this then? In our Christian experience, is, is there revelation? This is where, this is kind of the heresy test for the preacher, right? Because I could go one way and, and then I could be a heretic, or another way, and we could stay within the Bible. So you'll have to be the judge, but I, I, I believe I'm staying within the Bible here. The, the answer to that question, is there revelation in the Christian life, is yes and no. So no, there are no new authoritative revelations. There's no new books of the Bible being written. If you meet someone who says, you know, the Lord's given me a 67th book to add to the Bible, you just turn around and slowly walk away from that person. Uh, that's, that's not what we find at all. But Paul prays we'd get more revelation. What is he talking about? Well, this aspect of revelation, something he says we need to grow, and it's, it takes at least two forms. One is understanding Scripture better. In Psalm 119, verse 18, again, in the, the, the Greek Old Testament, it's the same word being used here. He prays, open, literally, uncover my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes. Can you think about times 
whether maybe when Ross is preaching or you're in your quiet time or maybe listening to, 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 to the Bible audio or something and the Bible just comes alive to you and you see it and like you knew it before, but now you really know it because God's opened your eyes. That's what he's talking about here. That's, I think, you know, the very, probably the most common way that God is giving revelation as we're reading his word and it comes to life. Additionally, in the Bible, it's a special insight that helps you serve Jesus better. And you read about church life in, in 1 Corinthians. There's this idea of God giving revelation to benefit people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 6 describes that. Now, how does that happen? Often, I think, in very ordinary ways. Uh, this summer, I was on locum ministry up in, in uh, Kyle of Loch Elsh, and I was visiting somebody who was connected to the church. And we're just talking about, you know, his life a bit and then moving into some spiritual questions and I was trying to find out does this person know Jesus and uh, he didn't seem really sure whether he knew Jesus or not whether he'd been born again he was a little confused about the gospel so I had the opportunity to explain the gospel to him I, I asked do you have a pen and paper so he went and, and got one and I was going to share with him just kind of a standard gospel illustration that I've often shared but just as I was about to do that, I, I felt this prompting to, to try and share the gospel with him in terms of his job, which was fish farming. And I never really thought of the gospel that way before, but I, I thought, okay, let's give this a try. So I began to draw some pictures, and we talked about fish eggs and, and, and how they grow and what it means to be born again and have a new life. And everything just clicked for him because I was talking his language. And it turned out that he, he had trusted Christ. And he just wasn't sure that, I think he hadn't been assured of, of salvation. He didn't know what God had promised him and what that meant. So the gospel began to bring some, some fresh faith to him as we discussed that. And, and that, that was a revelation on a couple of levels. Uh, but in the simplest form, the Spirit was helping me in that moment to see what would be most helpful to him. And revelation in our christian experiences is giving us something sometimes to know god better ourselves or to help others to know him extra insights so you can serve him better but what happens if we begin to pray this way for ourselves so we're not just just guessing not just doing our best but we're learning to hear the spirit and him leading us in our relationship to him and in us serving him and he's praying specifically that this wisdom and revelation will bring three outcomes one of them is hope, and one of them is inheritance. We'll look at just now. First, he talks about the hope of your calling. What does that mean by calling? He's talking about when you were saved, when you were called. It's, it's that divine uh, telephone call from heaven when God reached through the darkness of your soul and woke you up and invited you to trust him and to be part of his family. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 21 to, to 28. Uh, there it describes how you become a Christian from several angles. Verse 21 talks about how you believed. Uh, in addition, it talks about God saved you. And, and verse 27, 28, God chose you. And then in verse 26, there's this language of God calling you. And all of those things are, are overlapping. Belief, saving, calling. God called and, and God said to you, I want you to be here with me for eternity. 
He said, I, want, I have an inheritance waiting for you. It's his calling. And it's like an awakening. And if you know Jesus, you're, you, you've been living the rest of your life in light of that calling when he got your attention. And he, what does he call this to? What does he say here? The hope to which he has called you. And one of the things that makes Christians different from the world is hope. What is hope? We're going to look at that here. Christian hope. God has promised blessings in this life. And that's part of what our faith is in, that he's going to help us and bless us in different ways. But hope is looking beyond this life, generally, in the New Testament, to eternity. Colossians 1.27, the hope of glory. Galatians 5, the hope of righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, the hope of salvation. Titus 1, the hope of eternal life. And Titus 2.13, the blessed hope of Christ's appearing. Ephesians 2.12 tells us something very, very sobering. That people without Christ have no hope. And that's where we were. And praise God that we have hope. And at Christ's return, the resurrection... That is what we hope for, 1 Thessalonians 4. That is the day when God will, will, will see our Savior face to face and God will speak over our life that verdict, not guilty, that we've hoped and longed to hear that we know it's true now and we'll hear it from Him on that day directly. Some of us here, are, our bodies, we're aware that they're not quite the same as they used to be. There's things, there's parts that used to work and they don't work anymore. And on that day, our frail bodies will be transformed into eternal uh, bodies like that of the Lord Jesus. This is our hope. Today, our, our universe and our earth is struggling with the effects of sin that Adam's sin brought on the world he was the steward of. We see it in, in pollution. We see it in family strife. We see it in wars. All of the universe is going to experience restoration as God sets all things to right, as His justice is affected, and He renews the universe. We have hope. Hope. Uh, we have a family friend who, who was battling cancer, and she wrote this down during the battle. God has been so good to me, and I hope that I have many more years to enjoy His goodness and blessings and to share them with others. If that is not to be the case, that is fine too. I know that I belong to God, and no one and nothing can ever change that. I have His word on that, and He never lies. He never makes mistakes. He never forgets. He is awesome. Our friend Katie had this confidence, I know, which is what Christian hope is. It's a knowledge of what God is going to do. Katie went to be with the Lord several months ago, and, and we, we grieved her loss. We missed her terribly still, but we know, we have Christian hope that she is with the Lord and will be with the Lord and will be reunited with those who've gone before us one day. Some of us may be saying, I hope 
Scotland beat Slovakia on Thursday in the football. But we don't know. Well, you might know. But we don't all know. But we know that Jesus will beat death and Satan and all evil one day, finally and fully. The decision was, was affected at the cross. And it will be demonstrated when He comes. And hope is something more than knowing that a particular situation is going to work out. But we know, even though sometimes everything is saying, this is just a mess. What could God do? I don't know how He can turn this around. I don't know how God can work good here. Hope is knowing, well, that's just who our God is. I just know that He will. And we read that with, with Abraham, Romans 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Hope. And God wants to release hope into our hearts. And he wants us to know also one other thing that we'll look at tonight. Inheritance. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This this term could mean either the inheritance that we are to God or that He is to us. I think there's a sense in which both are implied here. God has inherited us. He, he cherishes you. But He's also got an inheritance for us. We are heirs of God. And we read about that inheritance in verse 14. And God wants you to know, one, that you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven but two, that you also have an inheritance to tap into to some degree now. And many of us, when we became Christians, we weren't thinking about that. What's my inheritance, God? It's a bit like a story I heard about a, a, a little girl in an orphanage. She was eight years old, and she just wanted a mommy. And one day, uh, this, this nice lady comes to the orphanage, and she, she meets this girl, and she gets to know her. And at the end of the day, she says, I... I, I would like to be your mommy. And what's the little eight-year-old girl going to say? Is she going to ask her, well, that's good, but first, can I, can I take a look at your bank accounts? No. No, she, she just wants a mommy. And, and she's delighted. But this lady is actually very wealthy. And as, they, as she, you know, she becomes part of the family, over time, mom's going to want her daughter to know what kind of family she's come into, the, the wealth that she's going to be a steward of and that she's got to learn to be responsible for so she can do some good in the world. When you become a Christian, it's like that. You don't necessarily ask God, what am I going to, what are, what's everything I'm going to receive? But you don't have a sense maybe of all that you've inherited, but you have got an inheritance from God and He wants you to understand it. You have a deposit on that inheritance now, it says in, in verses 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit is a deposit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit in you. Here's what it is fundamentally. The future reign of God, when He sets all things right, all illness driven out, all evil conquered, all of Christ's reign on planet Earth, that future reign is brought into the present to a degree. It's real, but it's not full. That's what the presence of the Holy Spirit is about in the New Testament. You have full adoption now. But when, he, when Jesus comes, we're going to be, receive our adoption as sons. And so in a real sense, 
to ask God to show us what does it mean to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in the present, knowing it's not everything of the age to come, but it's some of that. Help us to know your power in our lives. We also need to remember it is just a deposit that our inheritance is largely waiting to the future. And that future inheritance is, is described in the New Testament, but it's in language that's it's often bigger than we can, our little brains can get. God sometimes, as he talks to us, it's like us trying to communicate um, in a two, to, to a two-year-old. There's only so much you can really help them understand. They need to grow up more first. But it talks about our inheritance as a place. Hebrews 11, it talks about a geographical place. Think of, of our inheritance like maybe you know someone who's from here and they, they went away to work down in London, but they come back to retire back in Scotland and it's coming home. That's your inheritance in heaven. It talks about riches, something not privatized but shared and riches beyond what we think of as money here. And our inheritance, if the deposit is the presence of the Holy Spirit, if that's the deposit, then what is the inheritance ultimately? It's God. It's Him. And what else do we really want? Revelation 21, the heart of the new heavens and the new earth is God dwelling with His people. I can't wait for that. Our inheritance. And so, if we have this, Romans 8 says that I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us because we are heirs. A glory that will be revealed. So when you, sometimes we, we're suffering as we follow Christ, whether for Christ or just as part of life, we're suffering. Does it need to ultimately discourage you? No. Because you have a hope that you did not used to have. That nothing can steal. And as surely as Christ suffered and then rose, we suffer now, but we will experience all that he purchased for us. And this week, can we be praying for this church, praying for um, all the churches in this area and all of God's people, for God to give a fresh release of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, wisdom that you can live your everyday life in light of God's cosmic plan, revelation that the things that are true, God would unveil them so you taste them and see them especially to know hope and to know that inheritance which we're one day going to know fully and we get to know in part right now. Can we pray for a moment for that as we finish? Father, we thank you tonight for our great salvation. And I know for myself, I've only grasped a tiny bit of it. And for each one of us here, there's so much more of God to understand and to know. Lord, we know there's, there's revelation in your word. And we need you as we read it to open our eyes to it. We pray you give us a fresh hunger for your word. And that your spirit would draw near as we read it. As we hear it preached. That lights would come on. And that our hearts would sing at the glory of our Redeemer. At the life you've given us. And I pray in particular for everyone in this place. 
And Lord, for the church in Scotland, that we may know the hope to which you have called us and the riches of your glorious inheritance in and for the saints, that we may walk in all that you have given to us together. And to you be all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.